Hey, good people, this is your NI Dom, back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, posthumous or jambalaya, those are two ways to enter into this reflection. I believe they will both get me to my desired destination. I can say it that way, but each would require its own start, and I'm not sure which one is the right one. I really don't. That feels important. I've been sitting in my car. I'm, I'm at the water. I'm sitting on some. You know, you guys know this is my favorite. Probably one of, probably the favorite place. I talk about my favorite places. This is probably the favorite place for me. <laughs> and um, it's a large body of water that's pretty endless. It, 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 it does have an ending. It does have boundaries on it. But I don't, we can't see them. It covers several states. So I just like the vastness of it. It's very settling for me. So I'm sitting in my car looking at the water. And um before I hit the record button, I have been doing some reading because there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot inside of me. And I was hoping that I could find some reading to organize my inner world. So part of the reasons why I come on this project to process is to organize and make meaning of my inner and outer worlds, right? And um, I've gotten to the place in this project where mostly I can say okay this is this is the framework I want to use in this reflection and usually I do that by finding an article and kind of I call it anchor text it grounds me in. and I've been in, in the car just looking up different articles and YouTube clips and it's not consolidating my inner world it's not consolidating it it's not organizing it it's, if, in, if anything it's giving me more Variance, And so I'm just hitting the record button, knowing that I have a reflection, knowing that reflection relates to um, this thing I'm going to say, uh, posthumous, posthumous. I like, that's what I like to say. I like to say it. I like to pronounce it that way. Posthumous, posthumous, after death. And there's a jambalaya. A jambalaya is a mixture. It's, um, you know, it's a, it's a dish. It's a food. Um, but it means a mixture of things. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, <laughs> a lot, y'all, a lot. And so I don't really know how this reflection is going to go. I know you're like, let's get started. <laughs> you keep setting it up. Let's just jump in. And that's what we're going to have to do. But I just want you to know there's a lot. I don't know if I'm framing the starting right. And it's okay. We're going to journey together. But I need you guys today. I need you. I need you. I need this place to organize the posthumous jambalaya. If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory, the two theories that I use the most. 
Uh, the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram, pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist. Let me start over. I'm a trained and practicing social scientist and educator of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I lean into tenets of critical race feminism, which basically means I have an intellectual sensitivity to social constructs of power, such as race, class, gender, sexuality, just to name a few. This project is unedited and is unscripted. To know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. So let me just do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, um, you're, I'm going to have a number of indicators that are going to go off while I'm doing this recording because I couldn't. I'm not turning anything off on my. I record using my phone, and my phone is fully on. Alarms. The phone. I usually shut a lot of that off before I hit the record button, and you will know if you, why I, I I need to be accessible. Um. I'm going to try not to take a phone call because um, I have the way that this app works is like once I take a call, I won't be able to come back and continue. And so I really hope that I don't have to take a call. But I do need to see if somebody's calling me and um, especially if they call on repeat because that means there's an emergency. So I just have to have the phone on and my indicators are going to go off. So just bear with me, okay? As you probably know, um, or probably suspect, um, my person that I've been talking about in a very um, aloof, not aloof, indescribable, undefined, distant, theoretical, there's a word I'm looking for, a dis, uh, anonymous, anyway, my person. And for the past year, I've been talking about an individual who's related to me in a significant way. <laughs> and I've been calling her my person. And just because of the complications of that relationship and my need to be honest about that relationship, I found that it was easier to do that by just simply saying my person. It's a way of protecting her. While I'm trying to be as honest as I possibly can for my own sanity and my wellness and moving forward. And unfortunately, that's an either or decision. There's no full way to protect her. And heal at the same time. At least I haven't discovered that. And um, so I have been referring to her as my person. It's just made it easier for me to try to do both. Try to protect her. And to try to protect me by giving me an opportunity, the outlet, the platform to have some really honest conversations those conversations are not pretty. They're not. They're not. <laughs> and um, I could deny those conversations. That is a possibility. And maybe one day I'm going to 
regret that I didn't take that route to deny my experiences with that person, to deny it, to sanitize it, sanitize it, to rewrite, to be a revisionist, to rewrite the history of that. And, um, but I chose not to do that. I chose not to do that. And I don't know if I'm going to regret it. And I ask for forgiveness. I'm just going to ask for forgiveness in advance. Because I chose to be as authentic as possible and still be honorable. And I don't know if I have it right. But that's what I have attempted to do. So the strategy, one strategy, is just to not name her. Not name the relationship But towards the last few months, particularly the last month, I've become less guarded, less deceptive. I've I've all but said who she is to me. I mean, I don't think you... I I feel like I I have very smart people who follow me. (laughs) And so I know that if you follow me, you know, you know. And I'm like this morning, I was like, just say it. Just say the role, who she was to you. Just say it because I believe there's another level of the reflection and it will only come once I say it. And I was like, you're ready. You're ready. Just do it. And I just can't. But I did do in one of the uh, content generators that I follow, I did make a comment and I named her in that comment. So if you are following the people I follow then you will see that okay my last time that I was with you was um, I guess Wednesday I don't even know y'all okay I had to put you guys on hold because I was like I don't even know when I last recorded So I released an episode called Beginnings and Endings on February 4th, 2024. So today is February 10th. So six days ago. (laughs) And in that reflection, I believe I was just talking about the preparation to the end. And I didn't go back. I started listening to that episode and it was just very jumbly. I didn't like it. I don't usually like the episodes when I first record them. It's, I really appreciate them once I've had time away from the reflection. So it's like I do the reflection and then I sit with it. I meditate. I let that reflection grow inside of me and make meaning. And if I listen to the reflection before I've done my own internal meaning making, I just... I don't like it. So I have to let time pass. So I decided to listen to it right away because I thought it was, I felt really good about the reflection when I ended it. So I wanted to go back and listen to why did it feel so good? But as I was listening to the beginning of it, it was just to me, I just didn't enjoy it. So I got maybe halfway into it. I don't know. And so I haven't finished it. But anyway, I recorded that. So I can't really tell you. I can't remember all that I said. Just remember, I remember getting to the end of that reflection feeling really proud that I was able to 
give words to my inner world, to make meaning. That's important to me. I just don't remember what I said. But anyway, anyway, that was February 4th. And um, I know that I have been telling you that my person was at end of life. And that she was actively dying. And all of the signs were there. And I know I was trying to process, what is that going to mean? You know, trying to get out ahead of that. What is it going to mean for me? Trying to be okay and how I'm going to move forward. And It's been a very difficult year. And in many ways, I feel like I failed her. As smart as I am, I should have been able to figure out how to keep her alive. I guess I'm just not that smart. And believe it or not, you probably are like, that's pretty arrogant of you. And yeah, we'll call it what it is. Call me out on it. I am here to be, I'm here for it. Because I'm, but I'm telling you the truth. I didn't consciously think I'm smart enough to keep her alive. But I think it was there all the same. One of the articles I read before I hit the record button was about differentiating between conscious, subconscious, and unconscious. You guys have heard me struggle between the subconscious and unconscious for a long time. Because I'll say it and I'll go, is that subconscious or unconscious? And blah, blah, blah. I don't know. And I think oftentimes we use those interchangeably. But one of the things I was processing this, one of the things that I've been processing in the last 24 to 48 hours, as relating to my sister... Um, is how much of her behavior is coming from the conscious realm? How much of it is unconscious? And I just really needed to understand that before I make an opinion about it, before I pass a judgment about it. I just needed to know about how much of that behavior is is conscious or not. So I found an article that really did a good job of helping me to better understand the difference between unconscious and subconscious and I've done this reading before not that particular article but I've done this reading before and then I forget so if you hear me in the future struggling with the two concepts again I mean just I just kind of give you want to give you a fair warning but anyway this I don't even know why I fell into that rabbit hole of explaining conscious and unconscious but anyway I, it was a reason why I went there I cannot even tell you but anyway anyway so my person passed. <laughs> She's no longer with us. She is gone. Just gone. She passed a couple of days after I did a few days after I did that recording. And, um, and I've just been this week did, in the aftermath of it, so much, so much inside of me, so much in me, so much, ex you know, I say processing my inner worlds, my outer worlds. There's a lot for me to process externally and internally. And that's the jambalaya. It's a lot. A lot. There's no way I'm going to be able to do it in this reflection. Which is probably why I'm just circling the drain right now. I find it easier just to talk about how difficult it is. As opposed to trying to give you any stories, tell you any events, tell you any wonders, any pro you know, any pro I haven't said anything. We're 15 minutes in and I haven't really said anything, have I? It's been a lot. It's been a lot externally and internally. So, so we're dealing with my person in a posthumous posthumous way posthumous way she is now posthumous 
she is now posthumous. And right before she passed, I sent out, um, you know, just have been really, I was watching and studying, watching her body go through the process of breaking down, watching her go from flesh to spirit, right? We're flesh and spirit. But watching her die was watching the physical part of her break down. And the spiritual part of her prevail. I believe that. I believe that's what I watched. It was last moments. I believe. So. So that's what I did. I watched her body break down. And I was doing a lot of reading, you know, trying to pinpoint, calculate the moment that she would become posthumous, posthumous. And even the hospice, the people, the nurses, they can't predict it. But I remember when my grandfather died, I remember the nurse waking us up and said, it's time. It's here. We're here. And I regret not having that for my person. And I rem- and I'm I wasn't in the room. I was in. Re- I was different from when my grandmother died because I was in the room with my grandmother twenty four seven. Really, and if I st- and then I did step away because there would be so many only so many people that could be in the physical room because my grandmother died in the hospital. And um, they turned her hospital room into hospice. And when you enter into hospice, they're no longer caring for you for healing. They are caring for you for comfort so that you die not in pain and not agitated. Because you can be agitated and nervous in the dying process. So they keep you comfortable. And so when you're in hospice, they're not taking care of you to heal you. They're taking care of you to give you comfort. So my grandmother was in hospice in the hospital. My person was home hospice. She didn't want to go to a facility. She wanted to be in her home. And my my grandmother wanted that too, but my grandmother had my grandmother had cancer, but she actually died of an infection in the blood um, because she had like a bladder infection or something like that. So that's what put her in the hospital. And and then they decided to keep her there. I don't know why. I don't know why her kids didn't decide for her to come home. But my person wanted to come home once they told her it was there's nothing else that they could do. And she wanted to come home. And so we brought her home. So my sister and I, my person was home two weeks. She died. Two weeks after coming home. It's a big blur. It's a big blur. It's all like... I mean... I really should have been keeping a daily journal... Strictly about her process of breaking down. Of our body going from flesh to spirit. I didn't do that. I did... I did journal. I did private journals. You guys know I was on... um, a break from the podcast so for January I broke down and um, 
recorded one time in the middle of January. That's when we got the news that they were no longer going to be treating her to heal her. That now we were moving into the dying process. And I named that episode the need to analyze. I just needed to. I had just had to. And it worked out because I had two episodes remaining from the last season, season seven. Every se- Well, I'm in a I'm in a place in this project now where I do 25 episodes a season. And for season seven, I didn't do, I only did 23. So I was like, well, okay. You know, so I jumped on in the middle of January just because after getting that news, I had to process it. But um, I really, I mean, I don't know what it would have been like had we've been going through this and not the podcast was in its regular season form because I'm trying to only keep do 20 episodes, 25 episodes. I could have easily done an episode every day. There's just so much happening. So anyway, I don't even know if anybody listened to this pod episode right here because I'm not saying much. Like there's a storm happening on inside of me and I just, I can't even find the words right now. So anyway, um, but I did do some private reflections. I didn't, I have not typed in my written journal. I have so many different types of forms of reflecting. You guys know that. I didn't do one written reflection. Not one. I couldn't kick out a poem. I tried. I, I knew... Hold on, somebody's trying to call me. Hold on one second. Okay, you guys. Um, that this makes me a little nervous when those calls are coming through, and I don't know who they are. Um, but um, I, I guess the biggest issue would be um, you know, my family, and it's not a family member. And if they would, if it's in a, they can send a text. I'm trying to be okay because I want to get, I want to push through this reflection. It's really, I think my, my wellness is dependent on me getting through this reflection. So maybe if, if I just have, I'm only going to, I'm just need three people to listen to this. <laughs> like I just need to know that like, three people and I'm going to, I'm going to be okay. Um, okay. So, um, I couldn't find words and I, I really, I, I wanted to write. I wanted to push, find the words. I really, really wanted to, because I, I mean, I've been journaling my whole life and I know it's value. I know the ability to go back and read or consume something that I wrote in the moment when I memorialized something, when I captured it and preserved it in real time. I wanted to do that so bad, but I couldn't. I just couldn't. I've been so paralyzed, if you will. I wanted to say emotionally paralyzed. I don't know if that's true. And I don't even know if it's true to say cognitively paralyzed, but I could not find the words. And so I did do a little bit of audio reflecting, a little bit, a little bit, but not as much as I wanted to. So anyway, it's all a big bubble. I mean, it's like a mesh. It's just jumbled together. So that's the jambalaya piece. So so that's one thing I wanted to tell you, that she is no longer with us. She is now in a posthumous state for me. And that's not a term that I have ever used before, as much as I'm using it now for her. And I think that's interesting. When my grandmother died, I didn't say she's posthumous. I said she's in heaven. She's with God now. 
I did do a writing for her. It was months after she died and I just talked about if there is a heaven and you guys know me and I struggle with rational thinking and irrational thinking and as it relates to faith and spirituality, it's a struggle for me. But I'm really glad that I've been able to struggle in that here with you all. But in this poem, it was like a poem slash essay, I don't know, but I wrote it and I said, if there is a heaven and if this is what my grandmother's heaven would be and then I talked about if there's in heaven what it would be for me and I said and that it just it says heaven is the creation of it's it's constructed it's constructive rather constructivism is when we acknowledge that we all make our own meaning we make our own reality we make our own knowing it's, in that there's controversy there, obviously, but we're, that's a theory, constructivism. And I mainly use that theory in my work as an educator. Um, but in this poem I wrote for my grandmother, basically, I never said constructivism, but that's basically what I was doing. That if heaven is a place and if it's constructed, then my grandmother would construct heaven like this. And if heaven is a place and I can construct it, I probably would construct heaven in this way. I don't know if I feel that way today, the way I constructed heaven in that poem, but <laughs> if it, that's what I wrote. And I did not refer to my grandmother as in this post posthumous way. I talked about her being in heaven with God. And when my dad died or my stepfather died or my aunt, because all of this has just been, you know, you guys have heard me talk about it. Um, I just didn't talk about them as posthumous. And so why am I doing that to my person? And I think, I believe, I wonder at least, because there's a part of her that's here. And it's not just a memory. She's very active. She's very much active. She is still a presence. She's not gone. She's here. And so how do you account for her presence? And I'm not talking about presence as in a spiritual presence. Because I've been trying to. That I've been processing. Like that's been on my mind. If she's in spirit form. Is she. Is her spirit lingering in this physical realm. This dimension that we're in. Whatever. I mean, come on now, people. Like, I don't even care what your spiritual beliefs are, your religious beliefs are. Your, like, come on. How can you not wonder about this thing that we are called, we call the physical reality? It cannot just be, I cannot be processing this simply because I'm an NI Dom. I just can't. You have to, there's so much wonderment. There's so much mystery this thing that we call phys- the physical world. You cannot think that this physical world is absolute. I just, I, I would love to talk to somebody who believes that this physical world as we understand it is all there is and it is absolute. 
I'd like to talk to you if that is you. If you're listening to me and that is of your, you're of that persuasion, please, youranidom.wordpress.com. Please contact me or you can contact me at Twitter, youranidom1. You can go to YouTube, youranidom. I'm like, these, please, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. I cannot, I cannot wrap my mind around a person who would think that. But if that is you, please enlighten me. And so for me, I just say this physical is a dimension. And so when you die, what happens to that spirit part of you? Because I watched, it's not the first person I watched die, unfortunately. So it's horrible that I've had so much experience with it. And I watched her become physical into this. I watched her. I watched her. I sat there with her. And, um... Now that she's spirit, where is that? And okay, let's let's entertain it. Is she is she not spirit? Is yeah, here it is. Are you spirit until you die? So we are soul, flesh, and spirit. And I I'm ready to delineate between those three. It used to be so hard for me to delineate between flesh, soul, and spirit, or particularly soul and spirit. I got the delineation between. The flesh part, the body part. But how do you make the distinction between spirit and soul? I got it. I don't need to hold. I don't think I should explain that now. But I let me say it. Let me say this though. I have come in my understanding of those three components. I have made peace that, for the most part, I'm going to say peace at eighty. Maybe 85%. Then when you die, the physical, the flesh dies. And the soul dies. There are people who would disagree. I know many people who would disagree with me and say, when you die, the soul lives on. I believe the spirit lives on. I don't know if I believe if the soul lives on. And that's complicated for me. Because on one hand, I would be like, I would love to know that that soul continues. And then there's another part of me, and I think I said this in the last reflection. Do I want the soul of me to live in infinite infinity? I don't know. Sometimes I get, I get, I get just sick of it. <laughs> Do I want the soul of me living in infinity? And so. But I do, you know, but I never have wondered. I've never thought about spirit. Ceasing when the body dies. I never, I just have always. And as woo as I can possibly go in there, if, you know, and I struggle with that all irrational line of thinking I do but it is part of I do have it I just don't talk about it out loud this project has just made me more comfortable and confident to talk about it out loud and for a long time I didn't and I just have gotten comfortable probably in the last year maybe 18 months where I can talk about it and just not feel like shame like that's stupid that's so irrational why would you say that out loud but the NI dominus my top function is an irrational function so I need to get over it. <laughs> and I think I've been working on that. I've been growing in that area. That there is an irrational part of life. 
and I, 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 I can say that it, it, everything is rational, but I don't. We don't have the instruments to rationalize everything. So there is an irrational component to understanding this thing called life. Anyway, that's just a rabbit hole waiting for me to just get stuck inside of. So anyway, anyway. I'm on the point I'm trying to make is I've made peace that when you die, the the physical dies, the flesh dies. I've made peace that mostly peace when you die, the soul dies. There's a little bit of, but, but I mostly have made peace with that. But I've always accepted that when you die, the spirit continues. And just in this moment now, I'm now wondering if when you die, does the spirit die as well? Wow. That's sad. If that's true, that's sad. Then I had a friend of mine from Twitter, but we, you know, I put him on my podcast and my primary podcast, podcast number one, which I don't do anything with, but I still pay for it to live. I'm still paying for podcast number one to live out in the world and it's still being downloaded and consumed and it's still a consequence for me because I move about in the world and I kind of forget that podcast number one is out there with my name and people are consuming it and interacting with me and I'm sometimes I'm like oh where's that energy coming from and I forget I forget that people are experiencing me not just in our direct interactions or past interactions they're they are interacting with me based on how they've experienced me in that podcast which is one of the reasons why I keep podcast number two as an alias because I don't want to have to interact with you based on me sharing some of my most intimate thoughts. And then some of you listening to me would be like, well, why would you put your intimate thoughts out there? Because it's my way of processing. And it's my way of engaging my extroverted thinking function. Because when I process strictly with NIFI, my two introverted functions, it's not an honest reflection. It's not a complete reflection for me to leave, exclude my extroverted thinking function, which is auxiliary. And so in order for me to engage that function fully, I have to output with an audience. That's just what I've learned. And so my reflections in this podcast, number two, is just more, more complete than when I do my reflections privately because... Um, I'm not going to say my extroverted thinking is inactive when I'm doing it, but it's not as active because it's not ex. That's the extroverted side of me. Anyway, I'm really I'm I'm not saying anything that I thought I was going to say in this reflection, but oh yeah yeah. Anyway, so anyway, the guy from Twitter who came on my podcast number one, and you know it was a little. It was a little hurtful what he said, but I know that he didn't say what he said to try to hurt me. And I don't deny feelings of hurt. I just don't let them control me. And so I just continued on. But I'm just bringing it up now because I was like, oh, yeah, that was a little hurtful. <laughs> but um, so when my grandmother passed, I put it on, uh, I put it, you know, put it on Facebook. That's when I was more active on Facebook and, and I'm not as active. Although it, you know, my person's passing. It is now on. It is um, because my sister made a post under my my uh, person's account, and so then um, my sister posted a comment as though it was my person saying it about going on to be in heaven, and then my sister tagged me and tagged her, 
so that I had access to it and then I added it to my my page. So that's about as much as I've said. And I've talked a little bit about the emotions that I was dealing with. I think I posted something about my emotions two days before she uh, passed, but I have not been active as other people in the family have been on. And so my aunt, apparently um, a distant cousin, made a comment on my aunt's post, SMH, shaking my head that this is the way she had to find out. Like, oh, oh, this is how I had to find out that my cousin passed, SMH. And my aunt was like really bothered by it. I'm like, you should have been like shaking my head back that you made this dumbass comment. Because <laughs> it's just stupid. And I'm my thing is if you were close, if you were close, you would know. Anybody that's close to my person knew. And it's just okay. I mean, we all have layers of community. We have so many different relationships and layers of relationships. Come on now, people. Come on. Just come on. Anyway, but one of the things that I'm, one of the jambalaya points that I was going to make um, is that I'm learning so much about my family in a new way through my person being in this posthumous state, right? Uh, now I'm learning some things, just, I'm just having new revelations, just new insights. And it's not like I didn't know this, but I don't think I was conscious. Let's say this knowing was subconscious, not unconscious, subconscious. And now it's conscious. I'm more actively alert, aware about it. That a lot of people in my more immediate, and, and you guys know I come from a intergenerational structure of family where they um, most people, when they think about their immediate family, they think about the offspring of two people who came from, a, two people procreated and 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 that's not what I'm talking about when I say my immediate. Um, in my when I say immediate family, I'm talking about those of us who interact on a daily basis. You know, and that is multi generational, and we have a daily connection. I have, because of the trauma, the intergenerational trauma, and my own commitment to healing, I have removed myself from a lot of that day to day stuff. Which, was, which is why the last year has been difficult for me and I had to process a lot of those uglies, a lot of the shitty, if you will, because now I was back in day-to-day relationships with people that I had put distance to for my own sanity. And because my person was, you know, sick and caring for her and that meant being in close proximity with other people who loved her. And so I had a daily experience with people I would have not had a daily experience with. And I think in some ways it was good because it forced me to come to confront some things. Like I say, my grandfather say, so what he said, tell the truth and shame the devil. And I think as long as I had distance, I would not have had to face a lot of truths because they were ugly. Nobody wants to confront those. And so the last year, it's put me in a position where I had to confront things I would have not had to confront. And so anyway, and so my per so um, my guy friend made this comment about when we posted on Facebook about my grandmother, we said she passed away. She, and he was like, I don't understand why people say that. 
like when you die, you're just dead. That's it. There's nothing else. I was like, whoa. And I've, and as a former atheist, I used to identify as an atheist for about 10 years. I understand that. That we create these frameworks because we really, as humans, we really wrestle with the concept of death as something final. We struggle with that. So then we create religion to soften that and we create kind of, I'm, my vocabulary is really stilted, um, limited right now. Excuse me. Really limited because I, I just, I'm not being, I'm not able to access. I'm just not able to pull it out right now. So just bear with me, y'all. <laughs> you guys are probably like, your vocabulary is always off. <laughs> hey, don't be mean. <laughs> so anyway, but I can, I can understand that argument that it's too much for us to understand that this thing that we call life and its vibrancy, that it just is over when we die. I get that. And because it's psychologically too much for us to understand, then we create narratives and stories that aren't real. And we, and we choose to, and we, we choose to enter into a lie to keep ourselves comfortable because the truth is too difficult. So I understood his argument. I understood when he said, well, you say passed on, like you're passing from one dimension to the next when it's not true. When you die, you're just dead. And at the time I processed it and he wasn't trying to be mean. I mean, it was hard. It was hard to hear that. Not not intellectually hard, as I understood the intellectual argument. But it was hard to just sit with the fact that, you mean my grandmother's just gone? There's nothing left of her? I understand there's no flesh. Okay, so, okay. But the, she doesn't even have spirit? Uh, no, I, I, no. I'm just, I'm not, I know. Mm-mm. And like I said, it just wasn't until I hit this record button. Excuse me, I just started talking. That I was like, um, wow, what if the spirit just, really it does, what if the spirit does die? And that's, that is it. What if that is so? And so, well, what if it is? And if it is, it is. If it is that, it is that. However, as a constructivist, and I can construct my own reality and my own meaning, you better you better be damn straight or damn skippy that I'm not going to construct a reality that when we physically die, we the soul of us die and the spirit die. No, that's not the reality I'm constructing. I'm not going to construct that reality. And whatever the fact is, the rational fact is, it is what it is. And it is what it is. I couldn't change it if I wanted to. But in, a, in my human self, and to be human means we have a subjective reality and we all construct meaning. No, I'm not going to construct the same meaning that you have constructed, my friend. And so, no, I don't, I'm not constructing that. And until science can measure definitive, how about this? There it is. You want to talk about being rational? Let's do this. Until we have an instrument that can definitively say that when we die, there is no other dimension. <laughs> Come on. Come on, y'all. 
Come on, be smart. You don't know. You don't know. We don't have the instruments to measure that yet. And I'm going to say this and I'm going to leave that because I, I, I'm going to have to do this in two parts. It's just, like there are things I want to say. I just have just entered into this philosophical bubble about what does it mean to die? I'm going to say this last thing about how I process my friend when he said it. He was a white dude. And for the most part, he was a white dude with means, with resources. And I tried to, I made sense of, and if you're a white dude listening, if you're a white dude with resources and you're listening to me, bless you. You know what I mean? And if you keep coming back to me, bless you. And this is one of the reasons why I put that in my disclaimer. I'm an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background. That is one of the reasons why I put those disclaimers out there. Because we're not going to get it twisted. I want you to know my, the reality I live in is different. Or it's nuanced for this reason. And what we're not going to do, or what we're not going to do, how about that? What we're not going to do is to um, project someone's reality onto me because of power. And so your reality then becomes somebody else's reality because of the position that you have in the social hierarchy. Um, no, 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 no. It's your reality. That's fine. It's your truth. I'm okay with that. Some people wouldn't be, but I'm okay with that. But what we're not going to do is you're not going to project your reality on, onto me and say the, it's just a superior way of thinking. It's hubris. That's what it is. Hubris. That's a word I struggle with because I don't think I... I don't really think if I had to define hubris, I think I would struggle. But I think I'm at a place where I can use it in context appropriately. I can use it. My application of the word is accurate, even if I can't give you a real concise definition of it. Independently. Yes, I can go look it up and read it to you. <sighs> anyway... So, I'm watching this man load up his three dogs. They look like pugs. I think that's the kind of dogs. I think that's a dog type, a breed. There's three of them, and he is. He just took them on a walk, and he's loading them up in the in the back seat. I don't know why that just was. That's just soothing to watch him do that. You guys know that when I'm out, I get distracted by what I see. But yeah, so he, um, I, I'm thinking that when you have access to resources and power and you can live this physical life, you can make the most of it and it's enjoyable, then I can see you saying time is up and that is it. But when you live in the margins and you are not, do not have access to resources and life is shitty, like coming from the freaking slave trade, coming from years, years, year, hundreds of years of slavery. And after that, of Jim Crow being denied your full humanity, then you have to excuse us for imagining a life after this life that is better. You have to understand that. You have to make room for that. That makes sense to me that a people would imagine a life after death. Because this life was so fucking shitty. 
And if you are not living in the margins with, yeah, and everybody has hardship. Yes, everybody has hardship. I get that. Everybody suffers. That's what it means to be human. We all suffer. But you are a lie if you think we suffer equally. No. (laughs) No. And if you're listening to me and you think that, you want to argue that, I'm here for that one too. Contact me. You're in idom.wordpress.com. But anyway, so I just think that he was speaking out of his, you know, his reality. And not only his, he was trying to be gentle about it, actually. Uh, He might actually have access to podcast number two because I trust him with my inner, inner thoughts. And he talks about it. He talked about it on my podcast. He talks about it with me that he acknowledges how his gender and his race gives him a way of thinking. And it's very, very different from people who are living different demographic reality, uh, different reality. That's one of the reasons why I call him a friend, because he has that ability to understand his limitations. So he wasn't telling me to not believe in life after death. He was just saying, hey, as I've been reading your Facebook post about your grandmother, it's just striking that so many people are acting as though there's life that's continuing. And and that's just not the world I come from. And when where I come from, when you're dying, you're just dead. That's it. So anyway, y'all, that was an interesting rabbit hole. And so um, a few days before my person passed, I sent out a text to some random people. And I've been thinking about that. Like, who are the people I contacted? And one day I'm going to, I can't do it in today, but one day I'm going to process the significance the meaning of that. There were people that I contacted that on the surface, it looked odd. Why would you tell that person? And I sent out a message. I said, the time is soon. My person is actively dying. The time is soon. We're at, it's, we're, it's here. And it was, it was a few hours later. I sent out the text at one time. I must've sent out that text Somewhere between six and eight in the morning, and my person was gone by one o'clock that afternoon. And the people that I I sent that text to, your average person would have been like, "Why did you tell that individual that?" And I even believe some of the people I told were probably like, "Why are you telling me this?" There's a I have analyzed that there there's something to that I would like to share with you all, but I did so anyway. I did that. And then I came back and I said, she's gone. I came back to all but two of the people I had given the notice to. And I said, she's gone. One of the person I sent the notice to was my therapist, my heart coach. I just thought that was, I thought it was significant for her to know. So that when I meet with her, I have a, you know, a week and we've been struggling. Do I need to meet with you weekly? And that's a whole separate conversation. That is that is a whole separate conversation. Just that whole relationship with her is just complicated. And not complicated bad, because if it was just all bad, it would be an easy thing to walk away from. It. There's a lot of beauty in that relationship. There's a lot of beauty in the work that we do together. But there's some there's some definite hardship in that in that work. And and I struggle with that. And I don't want to open that up, the struggle. Anyway, because that's separate. But so I, she was one of the people I texted and said, the time is near. But I never came back to her and said, my person was gone. 
So when I had this meeting with my time, my session with her, I walked in and I've done this many times before because I told her there was a goal that I'm working on. And I went into that session with her focused on that goal. Although I was screaming on the inside because my person had, had passed the day before. And yes, I, I mean, I could have gone in that room and said, my person is gone and I start crying, but I don't function that way. I don't lead with those emotions. Those emotions have to come to the surface for a number of reasons. And I'd love to process that with you at another time. That tertiary FI is a very interesting thing. And I'm learning more and more and more. And every time I, I think I have it, I learn more about that tertiary function. So I entered into the room and like, okay, let's talk about the thing that we're going to talk about. And you could just see my therapist kind of had this like, she kind of had like a stricken look on her face. Like, yo, you sent me this text saying that your person was actively dying and the time is soon and you're going to just come into this room and we're going to just talk like a normal session. And I'm like, if you want to bring it up, you bring it up. But I'm, I'm staying true to <laughs> INTJ efficiency. Let's stay focused on the goal. We got a goal that we're working on. Let's focus on that. And so it was just a very awkward place for her and how she was trying to follow my lead because she believes in following the lead of her client. But it was just disjointed. And so at some point in the discussion, I mean, and I do a joint session. I do a double session with her just because my N9-ness needs to process a lot. And so we just have, you know, that's what we do. And, uh, and, um, I was going to say something. I was going to say something. I'm sorry. I just lost it. I just lost my train of thought. One second. Let me put you guys on pause. So we were probably into the second half of the set. We were, we, you know, if it's a joint set, if it's a double session, we were probably into the second session, you know, even though they're pushed together. We were halfway through and my heart coach was like, I, I don't know. I mean, and she was like, I don't know. I didn't know what to expect. I thought you were going to come in here and say that your person was dead. And she used that word and it was just like, ouch. I would have never used that word. I said, I said, she's gone. I would have never said she's dead because that's just not my relationship to life. It's just not my relationship to life. But everybody makes meaning, constructivism, right? Everybody makes their own meaning with life. And if dead is your word, that's dead is your word. But it was just the way she said it. I thought you were going to come in here and say your person is dead. And then I responded, she is. I didn't want to say that. I wanted to say, no, she's gone. She's transitioned. She's passed on. I don't know. I felt like I was stubborn. I felt there was some kind of defiance in me when I said, she is. I don't know what that defiance was about. I have to process that later. But I'm just saying that was the energy. When I think about it, that was the energy that was on me. I said, she is. And you know. And then one other thing that I love about my therapist, I love, this is why I call her my heart coach, is because I love that she feels. She's an INFJ. I love to watch that. Especially when it's not <laughs> especially when it's not turned on to me. It's just, there's a portion of that. I love it. 
And I was able to watch that emotion go over her. And it's the emotion that I'm not able to access when I'm in the presence of someone else. I think it's a beautiful thing to watch that. I think my sister has that a little bit, but my sister is F.I. Dom. I guess. She some she seems a lot to me like T.I. Dom. But the test says she was F.I. I'm going to have her take a test one more time. She gets mad at me when I ask it. She's like, stop making me take the test. I am what I am. <laughs> what personality type would say, stop testing me. I am what I am. What personality would say that? You guys tell me. Then I could say that's, that's who she is. Because I really, that test says she's ISFP. And in a lot of ways, I can see it. I really can now. I, initially, I couldn't. But, you know, as I better understand um, we share the same cognitive functions. It's just a different arrangement. And that makes complete sense. But anyway. Anyway, so my heart coach was like, um, just I watched that emotion go over her. And she did, she took up, she was the emotional placeholder in a way that I could not do out loud. Those emotions were internal, but I couldn't even access them. They're like in a vault of, of excuse me, a vault. And that's hard to say that word now because that's what it's like. It's like those emotions are trapped in a vault and that I can only access them when the, the, the lid of the vault is either removed or slightly ajarred. And that's when I can access the emotions inside of me during all of this. But I can't, you know, I think that's why I'm always, I always embrace when those emotions come to the surface in this project, in the podcast, when I'm talking to you and this comes through because it doesn't come through a lot. And so I'm just learning, let it come, let it come, because I think that's important. Those emotions being trapped inside of the body is not healthy. It's not healthy for those emotions to be trapped inside of you. It's just not, if you're an INTJ listening to me, it's just not. And if your wellness is not your jam, then don't don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, sweetheart. Don't worry about it. Sorry, that's some from TikTok land. <laughs> but anyway, but it's so, so, and it's hard because, you know, this is why people call us a robot because it's like, it's theirs, but it's pushed far away. One of the things that we had to do after my person passed away is two days ago, we had to go and pick, pick out a casket. And then we had to go to the cemetery and pick out her burial ground that is horrible that is a horrible horrible experience with my dad I was in the room with the casket I didn't say much because my dad was had remarried and my half sister was the spokesperson for her mother and that just gave her all the power. And I didn't like it. I I didn't like it. I have, a, I have a lot of resentment about it. And I don't know if that's... I'm just being honest. I got a lot of resentment about my, my, my father's posthumous affairs, if you will. And I think one of the things... It was, I bought a, a car, not a new car, but I bought a newer car in uh, last year... And I needed a car. I was, I, I, I thought my car was pretty decent. People, I sold it. And the guy was sold that I sold it to. I had to get the car fixed. 
out of the, I had to get it out of the garage and it, the battery was dead. So the guy that came to jump the battery, I was like, he was like, oh, I said, yeah, I got to get rid of this car. He said, you're getting rid of it. I said, yeah, you want it? So I sold it to guy, the guy that came to repair my car, I actually sold it to him. He's like, this is a, the body was pretty nice. It was a pretty decent car. And I was going to drive that car until it dropped. That was my, that was my, that was my goal. And I kind of, I didn't drive into a drop, but I drove it until it made no sense. Like the, there was a, something going on with the engine. You could get it fixed, but the cost of getting that car fixed was going to cost more than getting a new, uh, uh, it just didn't make sense. It was not a logical decision. So I sold it anyway. So when my, my dad died a couple of years ago, he had a newer car. He still was paying a note on it. Now, my half-brother, who was the oldest, was like, technically, that car comes to me. And technically, he would have been right. But I wasn't raised. We weren't raised with him. I was raised as the oldest. Because <laughs> my my father didn't have a relationship with him. And so, but technically, my brother was right. He was the oldest. Technically, he should have got it. Should have gotten the car. So, I didn't fight for that car. I wasn't going to fight for any of it. Like once my half sister made it, when it became very clear that that's the role that my half sister was going to play in all of his affairs after saying that she wanted him dead, she was happy that he was dead, right? It just felt really odd to have her being over his affairs when she was saying how her life is better now that he's dead. It just, I didn't understand that. I had a, and I had a, my, my, my sister's sister, my double sister, and I had a robust discussion the other night. It could have been considered an argument. But we're going to call it a passionate discussion. And I wanted, I kind of wanted to come on here and process that with you all. That is going to be processed. It won't be able to, I won't be able to process it today. But, um, <laughs> anyway, my half-sister, whatever, just controlled all of my, my father's affairs. And so it is what it is. She couldn't afford the car. But she took it because in her, she argued, I'm going to have to take care of mama, her mother, and she's going to need access to a reliable vehicle. And that's fair. I'm a rat. I'm a reasonable person. Okay. Except within a year, probably six months, she, she was like, I'm moving my mom in the house with me. I'm going to take care of her. And she moved out. She left the daily care of her mom to one of her brothers. I'm pretty sure she still controls her her mother's affairs, but she doesn't have to labor to do the daily stuff. And I'm going to tell y'all, that's a sore spot for me. Um, I can feel myself wanting to go there. I have to do it in another reflection, but... um, So anyway, I didn't fight for it. Well, anyway, about a month ago, my half-sister called me. I want to talk to you. I never thought that when she calls me to have these philosophical talks, I never thought that it was bullshit talk. Until now, I'm wondering if it's bullshit talk. I'm a little bit on the list. But anyway, because I'm so philosophical, I love those discussions. And so I... I crave those discussions. And so when she called, and I'm like, okay. I control the kind of conversations I have with her. 
And that's probably one of the only things I will do with her. I don't do anything else with her. I stopped. But I was still allowed for the philosophical discussion. I'm probably not going to do that anymore based on this last conversation I had with her. So she called and was, we were into this philosophical discussion and then she talked about my dad's car and how expensive it was to, keep, to, to, to pay the car note on it, to get the repairs. And then she asked me if I wanted to buy it. <laughs> my dad had other cars and instead of giving me one of those cars, she concocted a story with my double sister that it would be good for me to buy it. And I, I'm going to tell you this thing with my double sister. I'm afraid. What I'm afraid, let me tell y'all something. I'm afraid I'm going to start perseverating on my double sister more than I, I had already started. She had already been, become, had gotten into my line of focus, my line of analysis, just because there's been this drastic shift in our relationship, which she keeps coming up with theories about the shift. Which is why, I'm sorry, you guys, I've just got to jump a little bit. Which is why I read the article this morning about conscious, subconscious, and unconscious. It was because of that relationship with my sister that I'm trying to understand. How much of her behavior is unconscious? How much of it is conscious? I, I really need to process that before I decide how I'm going to respond to her. Because it's, it's striking. It's a definite behavior. Very different conduct. Her conduct is very distinct. And I'm trying to figure out how much of her behavior is from coming from consciousness, subconsciousness and unconsciousness, because that's going to help me to determine how I'm going to respond to her behavior. Now, if somebody else, I wouldn't care. I could give, excuse my language, y'all. I'm going to say in the, in the notes that there's a lot of cursing in this episode. But in other people, I would give two shits about that behavior. If that behavior, the way that my sister has been behaving, I already, I already know how to respond. But because she's my sister and I love her so much and she's, and I've got this soul bond with her, I thought. I thought we had a soul bond. And I think that if she was talking, she would say she, we did, we do. I don't know. And if it is a soul bond, let me say it differently. How about this? It is a soul bond. I'm afraid it is a toxic bond. It's of the trauma. It's a trauma bond. And in my work to eliminate all of my trauma bonds, what am I, I don't want to eliminate my relationship with my sister. But that's the kind of bond we have. It's becoming more and more apparent. Anyway, so one of the argue that in that quasi argument that we had two nights ago, the passionate discussion, one of the things she brought up was that she, because uh, I'm like, well, there's just been a difference in our relationship in the last two years. Now she's come up with several theories. I'm gonna, tr- I need to write them down because she's trying, she's trying to make. She's trying to make meaning out of the, the shift in a relationship, as we all do as humans in our subjectiveness, right? We can work, we construct our reality, and she has a right to make meaning. It doesn't mean that we're making meaning together, which is hard because we have, up until recently, the last two years, we made meaning together. And we're no longer making meaning together. We're not. Now, 
It's okay to not make meaning with her. But I'm on the late show. Oh, we're no longer making meaning together. Okay. That now is going to require a different way of maneuvering. Doesn't mean the relationship is over. It just means maneuvering in a relationship different. She doesn't want to do the meaning making together. My sister two nights ago called me reckless. Reckless, paranoid, paranoid, irresponsible. And I don't know if she used the word manic. That's what she that's what she was doing. And man, those were some heavy indictments, y'all. Those were some heavy ass indictments. And me being true to form, I am not, I'm just not of the mindset to be like, you're an idiot. Everything you said was ridiculous and I'm ignoring all of it. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, excuse me. I'm not of that mindset. I believe a broken clock is right two times a day. When a clock breaks down and it's no longer working, there are two times it's going to be right based on where it, where, what time of the day it was at when it stopped working. Man, that, that connects to being posthumous. That clock is no longer working yet it's still there. Hmm. I want to, I'm going to chew on that as a metaphor a little bit before I try to, <laughs> I can't do anything else with that, but I feel like there's a, there's a metaphor there for me. I'm going to, I'm going to play with that one. So yeah, she 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 laid out some heavy ass indictments on me, and I'm thinking to myself, why would you say that to me right now? We're grieving. <laughs> why would you say that to me? Like that? Like even if you were gonna say, and I and and I know this is my training as an educator, that when I have to give very difficult assessments to a learner, because my goal for that learner is to grow. I have to make sure I am constructive in the feedback that I should name this episode constructivism. I'm going to keep using that a variation of that word. But if as an educator and I'm working to develop a person, it is not okay for me to, I can make an assessment, but everything I deliver back to that person for this is about their growth. So when you give feedback to a person, you've got to give them the feedback in a way that they can make meaning out of it and they can, they'll want to grow. You give that feedback to them in the wrong way, they shut down. And that's the opposite of what you want them to do. So I, in 30 years of practice, I know how to give very difficult feedback in a way that's constructive. I can give feedback, difficult feedback in a way where people are like, thank you so much. That's how I'm, I'm, I would say I'm good at that. 95% of the time. There are times when I shouldn't, I don't, I shouldn't be, that's not the relationship I have with that person. And I shouldn't be giving the feedback, period. Um, and I pretty much have learned how to stay out in my lane. Um, I, I would say I've learned it, but you know, I'm, I'm a human. I do make some mistakes. But in times when I'm not supposed to be giving the feedback, it doesn't matter how constructive I am. That wasn't the role for me to be in. And I'm talking to you INFJ people out there who identify as advisors. Just because you have insight does not mean that that's your position to give that advice to somebody. Because uh, your advising is about you making yourself feel better more than that person. Because when you are really trying to give somebody advice to help them to grow, you first listen. Where are they at? How do they need to hear it? 
Is this the time to give it to them? Just because the wisdom and the insight is on you does not mean that that's the time to give it to the person. That's a big pet peeve I have with my fellow NI Doms, INFJs. If you're an INFJ and you're offended by this, I'm here for it. Let me know. You're an idom.wordpress.com. Okay. Well, I'm going to have a lot of y'all mad at me because I've been inviting a lot of arguing. I mean, I'm just ready for it. I think I just, I'm ready for a battle. <laughs> I'm ready for an intellectual battle. I got this energy in me I need to release. All right. So, anywho, um, I don't even know why I went into that rabbit hole, but my double sister wanted wanted me to wanted me to um buy that car one of the old cars of my father because the my half sister and my stepmother needed the money i believe you need i would have rather you asked me to help you sell the car hey can you sis can you help us sell this car because our stepmother needs access to the money i would have bent over backwards to help do that but for you to try to sell it to me and the spirit of helping me because I need a car, I will not buy something that belongs to me. Now, I know that sounds like a petulant child. I know that. I know that. Because there's some unresolved stuff. I got daddy issues. Like my father, I had nothing from him. I got nothing from him. So I felt like anything that was going to be sold will be considered back, you know, back child support. And I, I think that there's a story because my, my, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave that, I'm going to leave that alone. And I'm just going to go down some, we're not touching that. But anyway, so, yeah, she called me a month ago and asked me if I wanted to buy a, my uh, dad's car, the one that she can't afford now. She's got it parked because she can't afford it. And now she, now you want to, and I would have taken over the payments. I would have probably even bought it, Right. Mm-mm. You don't give me leftovers. Mm-mm. So I, I think I'm going to get ready to start closing. Um, but because I, I want to do say this one thing, because as I'm talking about sisters, my double sister, and when I say double sister, I've talked about this in the past. Um, she's my sister through my mom and my dad. So my half sister is just a sister through my dad. My half brother is a, is a brother through my dad. My double sister is a sister through my mother and my father. So that's why I call her my double sister. So in this passionate discussion that I had with my double sister the other night, and she was like levered leg, like giving me these awful indictments about me and my personality. Oh my God. When I was talking to her about the shift in our relationship in the past two years, one of our newer theories about the shift that her consciousness is coming up with. Because her conscious, she's having a hard time understanding. This is what I think. I think she's having a hard time understanding her energy towards me. And so she's coming up with these different theories. And she has a right to. She can construct her own reality. I get that. I don't have to live within the construction that she's created. But I 100% support her human apparatus to construct reality I was not only I respect it actually I encourage it because that's what it means to be human but I don't have to live within that now we can construct it together 
which is what we have done in the past. We're not doing, we're not co, we're not co-constructing these days. So one of the newer theories about why our relationship has shifted in the past two years is she said she thought I was upset with her because she didn't have the same relationship with our father that I did. That's ridiculous. And I was like, what? She said she thought I was mad at her because I wasn't grieving the loss of our father. I, that, excuse me, that's a bunch of bullshit. I just, if we weren't grieving, I don't even know. You know what? I don't even know how, that's just so, it's just, <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. Here's why. Because when my, when my, my, when my dad died, my half sister came after she left the hospital, she came and spent the night with me. That's when I was trying to do relationship with her. I'm like, we're going to try she sat in my house and she told me that she was happy that my father was dead. She didn't, she said she didn't feel sad. She was, she was kind of happy because he made her life miserable. And I told her that that is okay. It didn't bother me. I, and that's, I think it's because I'm an INTJ. She were entitled to your feelings. Your feelings don't affect me. I mean, if you think it's appropriate for you to tell me that I'm grieving his loss, you think it's okay to tell me that you're happy that he's gone. <laughs> you like it. I love it. It didn't. This is the benefit of being an INTJ. It really didn't bother me. I thought it was a little odd, but I'm like, that's her truth. That's what she's been living with. And she has some really shitty experiences with my dad. I got it. And I told her I had read an article about when a parent dies, when the relationship was complicated, the grief is complicated. And, I, and so I felt the same. That was with my half-sister. I definitely felt that way about my double sister. And I just felt like all that time, my double sister was supporting me in the grief. I believe she had her own grief that she couldn't tap into. So it's easy for her to say that she was helping me to grieve. That's her journey. That's something she has to work on on her own. But I respect her right to do it in her time. But at no point was I upset with her because, come on now, that is just bizarre. It is a really insane thing to say. To me, that's more bizarre than my half-sister saying that she's glad that my dad is dead. That's just, I got that. I mean, I got it. Well, I didn't, it's not how I feel. It didn't make me feel warm and fuzzy, but I didn't have any problem. I mean, it didn't make me feel anything. Because rationally, I understood that. I have no idea why my double sister would think that I was mad at her because she didn't agree the loss of my father. No, no, you're going to have to try again, sis. But anyway, I'm going to bring closure. Let me watch. Let me try to bring some kind of closure because I started this reflection and I talked about posthumous and jambalaya. And I think what I want to say, and I'm going to come back and do another. I don't know when. These reflections I do because they're so long, you know, I have to just let them breathe a little bit. It's hard to do them back to back. I can do them back to back. I've done it, but it's not, it's not always fun. But anyway, I think about my person in a posthumous way because the relationships that were born from her existence and the relationships that were born from her existence are relationships that are still alive right now. 
the relationships exist because she existed. And and while she's no longer here, the product of her living is what we're interacting in. So from a physical sense, from just a pure physical sense. So when I talk about other family members, those people are family because of her. So that's that's significant. I wouldn't have a relationship with those people if it weren't for her. So in that way, she's still here because those relationships are here. In another way, I I have the opportunity to go through my person's office where she stored every all of her thinking, all of her all of her rational. You heard, you guys heard me a couple of years ago. I did an episode called "The Brain Room," where I have an office and that's where I do my thinking. Except my whole house is my brain, really, because I have I anyway. My whole house is my brain. How I use my house. So I have a friend of mine who says my whole house is an office, and that my front porch is my living room. It's <laughs> I don't do any brain activity out there. I, I tr- at one point I thought when I was working remotely, I was going to work outside. I did work on the, uh, but in a different segment because my patio with my plants and my, that is no, Mm-mm. I don't do that there. So my whole house is my brain is where I work. It got every room is designated for a portion of my brain. For my person, her office was truly her brain room. All of that was just there. And there was a little hoarding happening in that room. Uh, there was no food because you guys watched the hoarders. Wasn't hoarding in that way. But in terms of papers and files and books. And then towards the, I would say the last year or two, it became clothes and shoes. Like it was, a, there was so much in there you couldn't walk in there. So people have been asking us, what do you need? What do you need? And I'm like, well, can you bring boxes? Right? Well, because we're going to be responsible for packing everything up and I'm not you know my my sister and I my sister asked if we could keep the house for a year and and to you know just and I that makes sense to me because there's just so much there and I it, it just can't close it out I like the idea of making that a year-long project I really really do which is one of the reasons I was bothered because um, they're going to come over and they're going to start putting some stuff away because it's cluttery and you got people coming over and it doesn't bother me as much for people to see that. But apparently my sister and my mother's best friend, they don't want people to see that. So they want to come and put it all, put the stuff away. And I'm like, I kind of don't want them to put it away because how things are left out was how she left them. And I still want to experience her in that way. These are the choices she made when she took that book and left it open on that page on the table right there. That meant something, and I want to have that connection to her. But I just, last night, or I was up, in, I was up from like, I was up from like 10 to 5 this morning. And I just went and told my sister, I was like, if you want to, you got to declutter. If whatever you guys want to do, fine. Go ahead and do it. So I'm in this room, and, 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 I, and I wanted to do this because my dad was a thinker too. And my dad wrote down all of his notes. I wanted to take those notes and do something with them. I'm a writer, y'all. I can put, I can take those remaining notes of the thinking. I can put it in a book form. What an honorable, what a gift that I can offer. 
Well, that was taken from me. So with my person, that's, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be a high priority, but my person has so many writings, so much. It'll be easy with time to organize that into some kind of book form. Just my, my person was a preacher, a, a reverend. So all of her sermons, most of that stuff was organized, but there were things that have were not or anyway there was so much in that room you couldn't you couldn't walk in it so that's what I did all night I started taking things out and putting them in sorting them in boxes those boxes won't be the final places for them but they I had to start sorting them getting things out of the room so I could walk around in there anyway in doing that and it's going to be a big project I got a chance to be in the spirit of my person and trying to be respectful. Some of the things as I, you know, you have to read some paper, you see writing on it. You got to read it to ter- determine how you're going to sort it. Well, when I started reading and I'm like, oh, this is a love letter. We're not going to read that. <laughs> Oop, this is no. So a lot of that really personal stuff, I didn't read it. I just read a little bit enough to know what it was. Oh, that's going to go there. And, and my person honored my writings like that. To my knowledge, my person never violated my, my diaries. I would... As a matter of fact, a big part, a lot of my diaries were left at her house. And now I have to go find a new safe space for them. So that's one thing she, she, she modeled for me to re- respect people's private, um, that part. I don't, she, there were parts of me she didn't respect. And she didn't respect my privacy, my boundaries, so that. But there, that, in terms of my writing, she did. Or excuse me, my journal, she did. And as far as I know. And I'm going to honor her then. So, but just being in those writings in her posthumous way, I got like dreams that she had and she wrote down. I do that. I don't do it as religiously as she did it. I'm just starting to do that since my dad died, trying to record my dreams. A lot of her randomness for her being a preacher, a lot of her random thoughts would turn into sermons. So she would have a random thought and then she would start, she would write it down and then she would on a piece of paper and title it. She didn't date them like I date mine. I do the same thing. And so I'm a writer. I'm a podcaster. I'm a poet. So all of my writings um, have, I, all of them, excuse me, my randomness, there's a function and I preserve it. So being able to connect with her in that way, in this posthumous way, it, it, it's a connection. And it's a, I wasn't surprised, but it's a new level of intimacy to have with her that I just didn't have. She didn't allow me to have that intimacy with her. And so on one hand, I'm trying to respect that she didn't allow me to have that intimacy with her in life. Does she want me to have that intimacy with her post-life? I don't know, but we're going to have some of it. And it's an honor. That's the honor. It was an honor to take care of her body as her body was transitioning. And, you know, there were body fluids. I didn't do all of the body fluids, but I did some, you know, and that's one thing I will say and celebrate. There were people who many people said the way you and your sister took care of her in those final weeks, in the final days, in the final hours. There were many people who said it was beautiful to witness. I didn't think I wasn't performing. I love my person. I loved her and all of the complications and all of the pain. I loved her so much that I had to study the conflict. I had to study why she did certain things that she did, why she was harmful. That was that studying was done out of love. 
love for her and love for me. And so now there's this posthumous relationship that I'm having with, I'm going to have with her. And when I am closing it, one of the things that's so frustrating in my family, this religious family with all of these pastors and preachers and everybody wants to talk about heaven. And so she's, and I was like, you're still not having a relationship with her. I asked my aunt a simple question the other day. I said, did my person share her intimate thoughts about spirituality? The way my aunt answered that question was unbelievable to me. Not unbelievable like I'm mad at her, but unbelievable like this is really how she thinks. So drastically different from me. All she could tell me was about my mother's religious decisions about why she chose to attend the church she attended and the service. And I'm like, I have a different understanding of spirituality and a different understanding with the higher being in God. Intimate. That's a word that has been on me the last week. Intimate. Intimacy. Because I think the most intimate thing you can do is die in front of somebody or die and allow somebody to witness you dying. That is probably, in my opinion, the most intimate experience you're going to have. And yet there were things that my person kept from us. She didn't, it was, there were things that I want, there was an intimacy uh, that I wanted that she did not give. She did not give it. She did not give it. And I'm hurt by it, but it was her prerogative. It was her right to go out as she did, but there was still some intimacy in the physical sense. And so that's what we're about to do. We're about to journey into this posthumous relationship with her and I'm pretty sure I'm learning, you know, I'm a scholar, I'm an analyst. All of the things about me I can see, not all, a lot of things about me I can see in her. And whereas before it was a competition, because she and I could never get to a place where we could celebrate this thing that we, these things that we had in common, these things that were, that united us, we, they couldn't unite us. There was a conflict, there was a contest, it was a constant contest. Instead of us celebrating, we're both like this. Mm -mm. It was like, it was just a contest. And now I get to be in one with her in these things that we were very similar in, in this posthumous really, in this posthumous way. I'm over my time. And so I don't even know if they're going to, this um, app will let me upload. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye.